From Wall Street to Main Street, there are stories to be told. Where knowledge learned on the street is as powerful as knowledge learned on the streets. This is the Financial Recon Podcast, where we introduce you to the people, places, and things that have helped shape our environment and will help shape yours. Welcome to the conversation. Hey, everybody, it's Mike here with the uh, Financial Recon Podcast, and I'm excited to uh, have on the show today, star of screen, Chief Market Strategist at LPL, Ryan Dietrich. Welcome, Ryan. Mike, thank you very much. I'm honored you invited me on, and we had a little technical glitch there, but we're here now, and take that technology. Let's have some fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah, take that technology. That's that's definitely the case. <laughs> um, so, so right out of the gate, um, you know, Ryan, I I know you're a uh, you have the technician charter market technician uh, designation, and um, I just wanted to kind of explain to folks right out of the gate um, as it leads into the rest of our conversation, kind of the difference between fundamental and technical analysis, just so we can lay that basis for them. Sure. You know, I mean, I like to use this quote. Churchill said, the further into the past we look, the further into the future we can potentially see. And I like to think of market technicals like that. It is looking at what happened in the past for a potential path in the future. People are technicals and they think you just look at charts and draw lots of lines all over them and say, oh, look at this trend line or look at this support area. And there's some truth to that, but I've kind of morphed from that. And I, I kind of massage technicals and I say, I also look at market sentiment. You know, I think how people, if people, everyone's excited, well, that could be bearish. If everyone's bearish, that could be bullish from that contrarian point of view. So I kind of pocket that in there, but also just looking at market history. You know, like last year, for instance, was an election year in case everybody forgot that. And, you know, when you have a president up for re-election, Mike, the last mm-hmm. time stocks were down was FDR in the 40s. Okay, so wow. like that's amazing. And it's not about Republican, Democrat. It's about getting reelected. So I kind of, you know, I'm kind of a cocktail napkin technician, if you will. I use a lot of different things. But at the end of the day, I do think momentum and using some price action, some of those things absolutely do matter. And they really worked well last year. Then fundamentals, obviously, is, you know, things like earnings, right? Earnings have improved a lot when you talk about that. But a fundamental would look at like balance sheets and, and earnings and things like that. Whereas a technician would look at more, you know, kind of what's on the chart and what can the chart potentially tell us. And over my career, I've kind of honestly combined the two, right? I mean, I think I, I was a pure technician years and years ago. Now I, I kind of combined the two. Um, but definitely I made a name for myself being more of a technician and I, that's still in my blood for sure. It's funny you should say that because I've morphed the other way. I've gone from fundamentals to technicals uh, over the past year more. But the one thing I would give technicals is you got the cool names like Death Cross and uh, stuff like that. Fibonacci. <laughs> Fibonacci. Yeah. yeah. Fibonacci. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, you know, last year, and the reason I wanted to touch on fundamentals and technicals is last year, February comes and, you know, we're, we're speaking today, a day after the one year anniversary of COVID first really being discovered or announced here in the United States. Um, fundamentals just went out the window. I mean, just, you know, you looked at numbers and, March, April, so forth. Things just went crazy. Um, technicals obviously were a huge guide, uh, at least for me, around like relative strength index and things like that. 
when do you anticipate the fundamentals coming back to normal, a normal state where you could have more confidence in that data? Yeah, we think pretty soon, to be honest. I mean, let's okay. before I answer that, let's go back to last year, right? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. a year ago right now, things are pretty good. February 19th, right. all-time high in the S&P. Then six weeks later, we're down 34%. Then we had this huge rally off the lows. And, and you know, what we saw at LPL Research was just historically levels of oversold. I want to get too geeky with this, but there's different things we looked at. And we're about as oversold as we've ever been in the stock market. And we said, you know, any good news at all takes place, we could have a massive rally. And one thing that I think we're really learned about last year. It's not about good or bad. Okay. It's about better or worse. When we had hundreds and hundreds, millions of people filing for initial claims, that was terrible. Okay. Back in the you know spring and early summer, but it actually was better than expected. And I know that sounds crazy because when the stock market is making new highs and millions of people are still unemployed and it's just devastating what's happening, but the stock market doesn't care about our feelings. The stock market doesn't care about what's happening right now. And it really doesn't always care about what happened in the past. It cares about the future and so much of what's happening now. And we're going to talk about vaccines and things. The stock market rallied so strongly we think because it saw light at the end of the tunnel. And it's so hard and it still is so hard for so many people with what people are going through right now. But that's an amazing way to look at it. Also, we had a over 10% gain in April for the S&P 500. That's extremely rare, Mike. Six to six months to a year later, extremely strong outperformance. And we were talking about that at LPL Research back in April. So listen, from a technical point of view, we're oversold, had a big bounce. Big moves like that are not the end of a bull market. They're likely more of the start of a bull market. Here's one more and I'll turn it back to you. We also gained more than 10% in equities in November, all right? Mm -hmm. So last year, you had two separate months gained more than 10%. The only other time that's ever happened in history was 1982. Last time I checked, not the worst time to um, be bullish equities for a while. So we're not saying we're going to start a new 18-year bull market. But we think some of the signals that we saw last year, as crazy as that year was, is really positive and says likely continued higher equity prices for, for likely a while is how we're seeing things. A while is in potentially years is how we see things playing out here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I... I would agree with everything you said. It's, uh, it was a really... You know, February, it's it's interesting to look at the correlation between uh, when people uh, – one of the things I've uh, kind of studied over the last year is the behavioral aspect of people and in their investing and comparing some Google trends um, for searching stock market crash versus overlays versus um, like when people – when stock market uh, buying stock – search has exceeded stock market crash and it's interesting to find as of the initial data for the first two quarters last year people were 30 days behind where the stock market really bottomed so um to your point it correlates exactly with that technical uh, uh indicator um so with that in mind, um, one of the big things was obviously the government response was massive. Um, uh, one of the things I talked about last year a lot to clients was uh, the strategy Muhammad El-Aryan uh, brought to the forefront in 2008, the four bazookas theory. Um, when do we think maybe, you know, firing those four bazookas when do we think that government bazooka, they, they start toning down the guns, per se? 
Yeah, you know, it's not just the government, right? Also the Fed. I mean, you can kind of combine yeah. it, honestly. The Fed on March 23rd, which go back and look, that's the day stock's bottom. We don't think that's a coincidence. Right. They threw out the Fed bazooka, right? Or they threw out the kitchen sink. They said they're going to do just about everything they could to make confidence and liquidity come back. I mean, the Fed is literally buying junk bond ETFs, okay? I never thought I'd say that, but they are doing that. It's, it's crazy to think. And, and so much of we upgraded our view on equities at LPL Research on March 26th. You can go back and look. A lot of our peers and competitors were not doing that. They were downgrading. Mm -hmm. And things are really scary. But again, we said, you know, now, now you got the Fed backstop, if you will. And again, what have we seen in throughout history when the Fed increases its balance sheet, meaning they're buying more debt, more bonds? That right. tends to be a tailwind for stocks. We're not saying it's good for the economy necessarily, but it is for investments good. Now, you flip, flip this to uh, fiscal policy. That's the government, all the spending and all the different levers they can they can pull. I mean, it's been unbelievable, right? I mean, just last month, mm -hmm. we had a $900 billion fiscal plan go out. And it's like, we've almost forgotten about it. Mike, that was the second largest fiscal plan in the history of our country. Now we're talking about a $1.9 trillion one. So there is this back and forth, obviously, with all the spending that's going on. It's one of the top questions I get when I talk to advisors and their clients is all this spending has to be inflationary. You know, it has to be potentially negative down the road to just spend like like this. And I'll tell you, I, you know, as the economy gets a little bit better the second half of this year, we think it's going to have to clearly slow down. And one of the big things about this last cycle of growth for 10 years, we had a cycle of growth for almost 11 years before the recession started last March, was we barely had 3% GDP growth even in the best years. I mean, stocks gained like 400%. Okay, they did great. Economy didn't do all that great. And believe me, you can talk to 10 people, get 10 answers. I think a lot of it is because we had so much debt before. And now to get us out of this issue, we're adding more debt. It's going to be tough to have three, four percent GDP growth. We will this year. We might have five percent GDP growth this year off the lows. But going right. forward from there with all this debt, it truly can be a little bit of an anchor. So it's a double-edged sword. There's no easy answer, to be honest. Um, one positive, and I'll go back to you, is rates are so low. I mean, the truth is rates are so low here. If you look at how much interest the government paid last year, all the debt we have, it was actually less last year than it was four years ago. Okay, And that sounds crazy, but that, hey, there's a ton more debt. There's no doubt about it. It's because rates are so much lower. Now, the flip side of that is, well, Ryan, what happens if the 10-year goes to 5%? I'll tell you, we could be in a lot of trouble. We don't see that happen anytime soon, but that's the right. flip side. With rates low, you're okay. It's kind of one of those, it's okay until it's not scenarios, to be honest. Yeah. And with those low rates, that's what's translated to, you know, it's hit the insurers hard who have to maintain those capital levels for like long term care. And think, you know, we've seen that translate uh, over the last couple of years because of the the decade of treasuries being negligible um, and so forth. Um, one thing, you, as you mentioned about bonds, that kind of just jump, jumped in my head was you know one of the things that's being constantly talked about right now is uh state and local spending supporting the the, the local state and local governments um do you see uh a point where they are going to have to step in in some framework to help those governments um like the fed buying munis or more munis or so forth um just to help them um, or, or even just have the government roll into like the old Build America bond program where they subsidize the interest. 
Yeah, at this point, we don't see that yet, but there are clearly some areas, you know, we've seen Detroit and some other areas, some parts yeah. of California that have had big issues and they need help. I mean, something else the government or the Fed can do, they can say we're going to go buy something like the, the Fed has said, you know, they're going to buy a bunch of corporate debt. The Fed said they're going to like buy bonds of big companies. Right. They never actually did. Just the fact they said it. Right. <laughs> it right. To create some confidence. So maybe yep. they can say it. And I get, you know, listeners are saying, listen, why in the world is the Fed, you know, saying this? Why in the world is the Fed loaning money to small businesses? Why? Why does the president pick who's in charge of the Fed? Why don't we audit the Fed? I don't have a. I don't disagree really with any of those things. Okay, but the truth of the matter is, again, it is what it is. The Fed mm-hmm. is super powerful, and sometimes their voice speaks louder than what their actions are. Just the fact they have that backstop. But but you know, the, to put a bow on this. Um, by no means am I an expert with the municipalities and states, but some of them are clearly in a big issue. So we, that's why it's so important. I know we're talking about the vaccine soon to get this reopening going, get people back to work. One of the flip sides to it, though, I, I read an interesting study. One of the reasons a lot of the municipal, municipalities are not in as much trouble now as what people thought they would have been, say, this time six, seven, eight months ago. They laid off a lot of workers, right? They didn't have a lot of janitors, didn't have a lot of bus drivers. So that actually, quote unquote, saved them some money from right. from, from their budgets. Now, the, the negative there is they a lot of millions of people are laid off their jobs, and that's why it's so important for those fiscal plans to continue to help those people that are the most impacted by this. And again, there's just it's such a messy situation. There's no good answer, um, you know, on the municipality front of things. Right. But I think yep. sometimes if the Fed says something, that can be more powerful than even if they don't do anything at all. Makes sense. Totally. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that, you know, and I, don't, I just have to say, if you haven't, uh, if Folks haven't got a, a chance to look at uh, LPL Research's Outlook 2021, another phenomenal piece of uh, research information. You and your team, especially last year in 2020, the the information, uh, the infographics are just phenomenal. So thank you for, I, I say thank you on behalf of myself and uh, my clients because it's great translating some of this information. Um one of the things you refer to in it is there are some areas of the economy that have seen some permanent damage. What areas would you refer to specifically? Yeah, well, first off, Mike, thanks for the compliment there. I mean, we're a 30 person research team. We manage more than $50 billion. And with the help of our friends in marketing communications, they help us create you know, the outlook. We write it, sure. We come up with the ideas, but then you know, a lot of other people, I don't even know. <laughs> Thousands of hours of man hours go into putting that together. So that means a lot that you um, you appreciate it. But the one thing, one of the things we talked about in there was the idea of a K-shaped recovery. Everybody was like, what's the shape of the recovery? You know, V-shape, yep. W-shape, U-shape. What's a K do? Part of it goes up, part of it goes down. All right. Back in the second quarter, um, uh, Live Nation, they do live concerts. OK, their revenue is mm-hmm. down 98% in the second quarter because nobody's going to concerts. I half joke, where in the world did they get 2% revenue? I didn't see too many concerts in the second quarter. But then you see <laughs> something like Amazon where they're hiring just, you know, literally 30,000 people going to pay them all $150,000. That came out around the same time as all the trouble with um, Live Nation or something like that. So the truth is these, these industries that have been impacted by this, we call it the scene of the crime. Think about the scene of the crime of the, of the tech bubble. It was tech, right? For 10 right. years, tech didn't do that well. Think about the financial crisis, all right? For about 10 years, tech, or I'm sorry, financial stocks didn't do very well. The scene of the crime. The scene of the crime now, we know who it is, right? The services, your airlines, um, you know, some of these face-to-face things that, that, are, that are really being impacted by it. Uh, Boeing, you know, some of these the airlines in general, they're the, they're the scene of the crime this time. I mean, oh, by the way, the financial crisis, think about GM and Ford, some of those, those are scene of the crime also. Um, 
But right now, you know, if history repeats itself, maybe those could be some of the areas that really continue to struggle. Yes, we're going to reopen, you know, um, but but even then, are you is everyone truly going to go take a cruise right away? Cruise lines are another one seen at the crime. Yeah. Okay. You know, some people are, but eh, some people might be a little leery, let's be honest. So, so that's kind of how we see things. And it's um, kind of the evolution of the economy. I mean, you know, look at something like Disney, right? This is not a recommendation for Disney stock, would be very clear, but just the way that they transform <laughs> themselves from being a cruise ship, you know, park industry to, oh, by the way, we've got a phone and you can watch every single Disney movie of all time. And now people are signing up for Disney Plus, you know, it's just amazing. Or like Netflix. I mean, Netflix continues to reinvent itself. So they got a million customers all of a sudden. Again, not a recommendation for Netflix. Netflix, but just the way things, things kind of evolve and change, it, it's really fascinating. At the same time, if you're on the other side of it, it can be devastating. But um, if you're if you're forward thinking, and Mike, that's the fact that you're doing podcasts like this. I mean, you know, this is spinning a little bit, but clearly you're forward looking, trying to help your customers and oh, sorry, help your clients and help you know just listeners to this podcast understand what's going on. Um, the people that are willing to be forward looking uh, in a crisis are the ones that are really going to succeed on the other side, and that's um, that's just how history's always been. You know, you know, it's interesting you re- uh, mentioned Disney because <clears throat> we were probably three weeks into the COVID, like re- COVID really, sh- the shutdowns and so forth. And ironically, Disney had their annual meeting here at Raleigh last year. Oh, and uh, I-, I attended it. Um, and Bob Iger and Ch- Bob Chapek Ch- Ch- uh, got up there. And one of the things everybody was looking for was what's going to happen to Disney World. You know, they had shut Disneyland, I think, at the time. And they got up there and they lauded everything with Disney Plus, showed all the, the cool little trailers. And then they were, someone asked the question. They're like, we're actually flying down to Disney World tonight. And the next day they closed everything up for wow. a couple months. So kind of surreal to see, you know, things occur. Um, right there in our, our backyard. But I think the haves and the have nots, you know, to your point, the K recovery, um, especially in retail, in the, some of the restaurants you're seeing, like they've adapted or die, or they'll die off. And um, not that it's a recommendation, obviously, Target, Walmart, how they've pivoted to be major competitors with Amazon. It's, it's amazing. Um, but getting away from that, to the, we're thinking now a little bit further down the road, the big rumbling out there is this J and J vaccine. Um, it's supposed to be one shot. It's supposed to be uh, very influential or impactful to supplies is what I've heard. Um, what are your thoughts or, on the J and J vaccine there? Yeah. You know, and, and the, you know, the impact to the markets. I'm sorry. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's so, so important. Like we said, there's so many people are still impacted by this because of the of COVID. We have to wipe COVID off the earth. Now, let's go back to May. If you would had a, a, a scientist on back in May and you would have told him, you know, is there any chance of, a, of two different vaccines at a 95 percent effective rate that we're actually putting in people's arms by the end of the year? Most of them wouldn't have expected it. 60 to 70 percent would have been in their wildest dreams. And then within you know less than a year, we've got two approved vaccines at 95% effective rate. And now you've got this J&J one coming out that, according to Fauci, could be you know approved here in the next couple of weeks, along with um, the AstraZeneca one. But the J&J one's fascinating because it's only one shot. And you don't need these big suits. You've probably all seen the pictures 
the big super trucks with the super freezers that you need for yeah. the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines. You don't need that with this one. So, you know, and the effective rate, we don't know it yet unless it came out from the time we started recording this. I've seen it's between 75 to 80% effective. So not as high, but, you know, you think about it for the rest of the world, it's just a lot easier to get that vaccine in people's arms than, than not. And, and, and the AstraZeneca one is not too far away either. So is it a game changer? Hey, I think it was already game changers when we had two 95% effectives, but this one can get to the rest of the world so much more effectively and just one stick makes it a lot easier um, for people to, 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 to beat this. And real quickly, if you look back at history, the last 10 years, Mike, the common mm-hmm. uh, common flu vaccine has a 42% effective rate. All right. That, right. One time I got a right. flu shot like two years ago, I still got the flu. I was like, man, that's terrible. Then I realized, oh, it's a 42% effective rate. 95% effective rates like measles and mumps. Okay. Stuff that just doesn't exist anymore. Okay. We wiped it off the earth because those also had 95% effective rates. And that's, again, what the stock market is smelling, what the stock market is sensing out in the future. We're going to wipe this out in the US and in other developed parts of the world. And hopefully within 12 months, pretty much the world in general with uh, some of the other vaccines that are that are on the way yeah and i would agree with you there i i feel like you get this jj and if astrazeneca comes along as well which i know uh cam harvey up at duke has been really a big um a proponent uh mentioning that one um i could it's just going to be between government policy this feel like it's walking into a fireworks factory with a flamethrower and setting up the uh the market pretty well so one of the things that we're we're actually recording this the day after inauguration day um and one of the awesome charts that you had put out on twitter is uh about the um inaugural and the markets and the day of the return could you actually share that with everybody what you found yeah, Mike. I mean, you know, it was the inauguration day and stocks were going up. So I said, oh, let's take a look at that. And I found S&P gained 1.8% yesterday on inauguration day. That was actually the best inauguration day return since Ronald Reagan's second term in 1985. Wow. Now, you know, the logical question is, well, why? And there's always right. different things. I think a lot of it was because earnings have come in so strong, honestly, uh, not to you know, take away from Joe Biden's day. But at the <laughs> same time, there's optimism over his policies, right? Everyone, uh, One of the big concerns we've had is, oh, my goodness, there's a blue wave. This is not LPL's view. This is the questions we get from our advisors and our clients. Right. There's a blue wave, higher taxes. That's going to destroy everything. And it's like, well, not really, because we're quite a divided 50-50 in the Senate, only an 11 seat majority in the House, the smallest in like, a, in like a, I don't know, like 100 years, 140 years or so. Um, so you're quite divided. So they get these more extreme left or right, but in this case, left, higher taxes, higher regulation. It's going to be tougher. That's a big reason why the stock market rallied so much in November, along with the addition of Janet Yellen to the Treasury. I think that's a real important um, comforting factor also. Um, so kind of all those things kind of played together. And you had, obviously, a huge rally into the election, into the um, inauguration. Think about this, Mike. From the election day until the inauguration, the S&P, I'm going by memory here, gained over 14%. I think like 14.2, 14.3. It's the largest gain in the history of the stock market if you go from election day until the inauguration. And again, a lot of that was the optimism over potentially, um, you know, know, a a little more divided Congress than than people expected, but also the realization there's a lot of spending coming. Stock markets like spending. Joe Biden, yeah, there's going to be probably higher taxes coming next year, 2022, more regulation coming pretty much immediately, to be honest. But that's okay because there's more spending also from an investment's point of view. And that's what the stock market is sniffing out. So really good inauguration day returns and spectacular gains from the day of the election to the inauguration, all with the stock market's way of saying, you know, this blue wave that some people are worried about, 
probably overblown. And sure enough, that's that's been the case. And we think we continue to be the case as we likely have a continuation of this bull market, um, you know, for, for, for at least the rest of 2021 and probably further, to be honest. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, you know, I, uh, I just think the recipe is there. I mean, if any time in my career I've seen it, I think this is the most inviting it's ever been and just proves why you got to stay in the market long term. You can't just try timing things. And it's just it's a recipe for disaster. So uh, two final questions for you before I let you go. I'd love to pick your brain here. Um, One thing that keeps you up at night in the markets with the markets well before i answer that i always remember the, it's it's all about time in the market not timing the market last year oh, the yeah. first year in history stocks were down 30 percent at one point and finished higher believe me on march 23rd i did not think stocks would be higher <laughs> we were relatively bullish but i didn't even think that i mean the biggest bull would have we would have believed them or he would have believed himself, but it happened. And that was such a reminder. You know, it's the old saying you mentioned the retail state, retail stores, the stock market's the only place where things go on sale and everybody runs out of the store screaming. And it's easy yep. to say that. And then you have a 34% correction. Everybody's petrified. And it's like, Oh, it's a little different, but, but that, that is the truth. But what keeps me up at night? You know, right now, I think it's the fact that my son's basketball team lost a game with three and one. So I feel bad. You uh-huh. know, your dream is over, but, but talking about markets, <laughs> You know, it is what how we just said. There's a lot of positives out there, Mike. Things are looking really, really good. Okay. So that contrarian in me wonders are things so good that it's a lot of this is priced in and maybe we have a break? You know, think about what this market, this bull market's done. It almost is a perfect overlay with the 2009 bull market. Here's what I mean. In March 2009, major low, stocks go up 70% the next 10 months. We just had a major low in March 2020. Stocks have gone up like 70%. Back in 2009, as you got to 2010, we had a quick 10% correction early in the year. Then there was a 17 or 16, 16% correction in the summer months. Eventually, stocks went higher and, and, and it was a good good year. I mean, don't get me wrong, in 2010. Yeah. Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. I see some similarities. Maybe we get a quick 10% correction after a 70% rally, be perfectly normal sometime in the first quarter, then a bigger dip second or third quarter, which is normal, especially when you have a new president and a year one of the presidential cycle. So I think it's important for investors to remember everything's looking good right now. That could be a warning sign from a contrarian point of view. And everyone's on one side of the boat. If things get a little rocky and I think it'd be interesting this year, maybe stocks don't do quite as well this year and all of a sudden none, but the economy does great versus last year when stocks sniffed out a better economy, uh, you know, and did well, but the economy didn't do so good. We might see a little flip flop there. Still a major bull market. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to sound bearish here, but again, maybe some consolidation or pullback for five or six months after a 70% rally would be the best thing the doctor ordered. If you're bullish, honestly, let's take a little break here. Oh, yeah. And and it's interesting, you know, like you said, time in the market, because being heavily valuated pers- or for a lot of folks, uh, Pfizer BioNTech Day, you circle that on the calendar and look at what happened in the market that day. And I, I always joke, I'm like, that was the day, you know, stay in the course was rewarded because it, it, it just popped. Um, so, I know you mentioned about your son's basketball team, which is going to lead me to my final question. Uh, being a Creighton alum and you're a Xavier yep. <laughs> alum, uh, who wins the Big East? 
I just hope we can play. Xavier had had a game for like two weeks or have another outbreak. It's like, it's hard to ever go against Villanova. I mean, I don't know. They, they've had a bunch of issues where coach got it. Um, so I, I guess it's tough to say. I would say, I'd say Villanova, but my, my Creighton, I hope you guys do it. I, I don't like Villanova. I'm a Bengals fan. I hate watching the Steelers win every year. I want someone else to do it. So that'd be awesome if Creighton, Creighton could knock off, uh, you know, knock off the king, if you will, in, in Villanova. But it's just hard to go against Villanova. History kind of tells us that year after year. Yeah, yeah, I, I know Villanova is like that that staple game. It's it's funny because my uh, the, the final year we lived out near Omaha or in Omaha, there there was talk of you know Creighton going to the Big East, and uh, mm-hmm. I missed that. And as a Big East growing up, Big East basketball fan, I was itching at that that bit. But hey, Ryan, thank you so much for all this great insight. I, I really appreciate it, and um, you know, hopefully, we can uh, reconnect uh, later this year and uh, you know discuss outlook twenty twenty two, and uh, you know things will hopefully be a lot calmer, and we'll all be planning the to take a vacation somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, amen there. It's my 15th wedding anniversary this October and actually already booked a uh, trip down uh, down to the Dominican Republic at a place called the uh, Sanctuary All-Inclusive Resort. So um, that felt really good, like kind of cathartic to book a trip. Like, okay, oh man, it feels good to do. So, uh, I know that. Everybody gets to do that. But Mike, thanks for having me. You know, thank you for all you do for your clients and everything you're doing, um, you know, for the listeners of this podcast. I'm honored to be part of it. And I guess, let's see, our mid, as crazy as it sounds, our mid-year outlook comes out like july or august so we gotta start working on that in a couple months oh my goodness <laughs> gracious so maybe maybe sometime this summer we can get together and talk about the mid-year outlook and go from there so thanks mike for having me absolutely thank you very much appreciate it thanks for joining us today to continue the conversation visit us at our blog financial-recon.com Appearances do not constitute endorsement of flagship wealth management group, LPL Financial, or any other entity discussed in this program. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor.